0: Hello, and welcome back to Beyond the Page. My name is Lauren Miller, and I am the assistant editor of PRISM Arts and Literary Journal. Hi, I'm Kevin Colwell, and I'm a volunteer at PRISM. I'll let you take it away from here. All right, so this is <clears throat> this is a story that I wrote a couple years ago for a... Uh, well, I didn't write it because it's true, and it actually happened, but I recorded it um, for a, for a, an intro to fiction writing class a couple years ago, freshman year. Yeah. So this is this is titled Johnny... The flop. It was the dead of winter when it happened. The cool autumn breeze had long since condensed into icy gusts that had stripped the rust and amber-colored leaves from trees to which they clutched desperately. A thick, compacted layer of snow covered the earth like icing on an infinite cake. No creature dared venture outside save for two. Their pairs of little footprints crisscrossed through the snow, their trail occasionally devolving into an indiscernible mess where the two boys must have been rolling around in the snow. On this day, Carl and Johnny, at the behest of their mothers, had covered themselves in vests, overcoats, scarves, hats, and mittens, and all manner of snow-repellent garments so that they would be allowed to go outside and play. Though their small town was no stranger to the snow, school had been canceled on account of the fallen trees blocking the road. It most certainly had been the coldest, stormiest night of the last decade, but today the clouds had broken and the sun burned through the morning fog, reflecting off the fresh snow so brightly one had to squint his eye just to tie his own boot." When he, had arrived, when he had answered the phone that morning, Carl had told Johnny he'd have to be nuts to try and go outside today. There must have been two feet of snow on the ground, a level that would bury Carl up to his waist. Even for Johnny, who was tall for his age, two feet of snow would make walking near impossible. But Johnny had insisted. There's no way we're wasting a snow day, he had said. Besides, you can just walk behind me where my feet have already been. So Carl clad himself in several layers of armor and waited for Johnny on his front stoop, which had been freshly shoveled by his father that morning. Johnny made his grand entrance up the walkway by getting a running start and sliding in his boots on the thin layer of ice that had survived the snow shovel. He practically crashed through the front door, but managed to stop just short enough to give off an air of finesse. Johnny turned to an imaginary audience and took a bow, bringing his nose almost to the pavement. "'Shit, can you believe you were going to pass this up? It's great out here,' he said. Johnny had recently discovered the joys of profanity and now used it routinely." Carl had tried it at first, too, but the words seemed foreign in his mouth and didn't slide off his tongue the way they did Johnny's. Sure is cold. I think my boogers are freezing, Carl said. Nah, it's never too cold for me. I'd stay out here all night, go camping. Gee, I could even go for a swim if the fucking pool was open. And Carl was sure he would. He'd be just fine, too. Johnny was always just fine. Like the time the rope swing at the park had broke. Any other unlucky boy would have broken his arm, but not Johnny, no sir. He had landed on both feet and tucked into a somersault so tight it could have won some sort of gymnastics competition. Not a scratch on him. Or the time he had dove over the chain link fence chasing a fly ball in P.E. All the other kids had run to the edge of the field expecting him to be bleeding out on the other side, but instead of clutching his guts into his stomach he was clutching the ball in his mitt. He swore he'd caught it and everyone believed him because they knew Johnny was the only one who could pull off something like that. Johnny seemed to do just fine in about whatever he deemed important enough to spend a few minutes on. The boys headed down to the park, the same one where the swing had broke, and Carl followed Johnny by stepping in his pre-made holes in the snow. They didn't know exactly why they were going there, but Johnny insisted it beat going to school or staying inside, so Carl followed along. Every time there was a bare patch of sidewalk or asphalt, Johnny would run and slide as far as he could. He even convinced Carl to try it once. Don't be a wuss, he said. It's easy. But Carl had ended up flat on his back with Johnny laughing over top of him. Eventually he helped Carl up and they continued on their way. They finally arrived at the park, and Johnny's big blue eyes immediately widened. Now see, Carl, this why here isn't why we just stayed inside today. We got the opportunity to make this the greatest snow day we ever had. He guided guided Carl's eyes with his outstretched finger. He was pointing to the duck pond, which had completely frozen over. When Carl asked what they were supposed to do with a frozen over duck pond, Johnny gawked at him. Why, all sorts of things. We could play hockey. We could go ice fishing. We could slide on our bellies like the penguins. You just got to have a little imagination. Now come on, we've pissed around long enough. Before Carl could object, Johnny was scampering down the embankment to the icy shore. Now all you gotta do is get a big enough head start so that you make it all the way across. Got it? Johnny assured Carl. You gotta run real fucking fast. After approaching the edge of the frozen pond, Johnny decided that going back to get hockey gear would take too much time and that these probably weren't good fishing waters anyway. That left the penguins. Johnny had already successfully traversed the frozen plain once. You know I can't run as fast as you, Carl said. You ain't got to run as fast as me, you just got to run fast enough. It was decided. Carl would cross the lake. He backed up as far as he could, only stopping right before the embankment began to slope upward. Carl had been corrected. He did not possess the physical prowess Johnny had. He couldn't think of anyone who did. And when he began to sprint towards the icy surface, his elbows and knees seemed to stick awkwardly out of place with every stride, like a bicycle wheel whose spokes were all bent out of shape. When he dropped to his stomach rather than a smooth transition, he smashed his kneecaps into the ice. And caught himself on his forearms before sinking down onto his stomach this resulted in carl slowing to a halt nearly 20 yards short of the far side of the pond what do i do now but you didn't run fast enough you're just gonna have to walk the rest of the way johnny told him like an infant deer learning to take his first steps carl tried to rise to his feet but he only made it to his hands and knees before the lack of friction sucked him back down flat against the earth i can't get up god damn it all right all right just hang on within moments johnny was sliding across the ice towards carl his rigid arms and legs outstretched behind him made him look like a toboggan as he glided across the surface of the pond as he shot straight towards Carl he brought his arms out in front of him on his face and he he brought his arms out in front of his face and he now resembled a superhero out of a comic book Johnny's red mittens connected with Carl's feet and he let out a mighty shove that sent Carl sliding ahead of him several feet onto the shore "Gee that was great" Carl said as he got up and turned around however Johnny was still 15 yards away from the shore "It's all right I think I can get up" "'Johnny said. Carl watched a awe "'as Johnny began the arduous task. "'He slowly rose upward like a flower or a tree "'rising from the earth. "'His arms were branches that stretched out "'were giving him balance. His beanie had come off "'and his blonde, hay-colored hair was now a bird's nest "'atop the highest bough, quivering in the wispy breeze. "'He looked up and gave Carl a wide grin "'that showed off his perfect teeth "'that glistened like the snow beneath his feet. "'And then he plummeted straight through the ice "'into the inky black water beneath. "'At first Carl burst out laughing.' He'd never seen anything like this happen to Johnny, his sudden descent reminded him of the dunk tank that was at the school carnival the year before. Kids had lined up out the door for their chance to soak the principal by hitting the little target with a sandbag. Of course, Johnny had been the first to succeed. But Johnny did not reemerge. Five seconds, ten seconds. Carl ran to the edge of the water, his eyes searched manically for any trace of his friend, but it was his ears that first located Johnny. A pounding beneath the ice almost directly in front of his feet alerted his vision. He dropped to his feet and swept away the thin layer of frost, revealing what could have been a pane of glass. Pressed up against the surface beneath was a soggy red mitten. Carl stood up and searched desperately for a rock or even a branch would do, anything with which he could break the ice, but his gloves found only snow. He stood up and began stomping on the ice as hard as he could. Falling again, he began jumping, but his feathery frame made no noticeable impact. Out of ideas, he did the only thing he could think of. He ran. He's, his voice strained and hit an octave previously reserved for coaches' whistles and power tools. The taste of blood crept into his mouth from the back of his throat as he waded through the snow in the middle of the street. Darkness began to creep in from the edges of his vision. He collapsed in the snow, still screaming almost unintelligible ravings of Johnny and the duck pond. Carl was there when they pulled Johnny's lifeless corpse out from beneath the ice. He remembered little between the time when he collapsed and when he saw the stiff mannequin who was once his friend lifted from the icy water. Someone had found him and he had brought them back to the pond, that much he knew. Until he saw the frozen, distorted face of his friend, he had thought it all might be a dream. Perhaps he was at home fitfully sleeping with a raging fever and would wake up any minute to his mother bringing him potato stew and biscuits. But when Carl saw Johnny's face, he was transported back to reality. It was the eyes. Johnny had once had the bluest, purest eyes Carl had ever seen. The sky, in comparison, was pale and bleak, as it would appear in an old, faded photograph. But now, Johnny's eyes were a sickening shade similar to the color of beets that made Carl want to vomit. His eyes had frozen open and their blood vessels had burst, filling his sockets with blood, staining the whites of his eyes and painting his cheeks that putrid shade of red. Johnny now appeared as if in his last lonely moments he had been crying tears of blood. The Turn Did you grab my hospital bag? Yeah, hon, I grabbed it, but you're not due for weeks. I know, just in case. Carl and Francine's yellow VW bug hugged the corners of the mountain road that maneuvered through the dense forest of evergreen trees. Fran had thought it would be nice to have one last weekend away by themselves before the baby came. She'd found a nice winter resort a few hours from home. We can sit by the fireplace, have a romantic dinner, go ice skating, she said, which made Carl wince. Maybe not the ice skating, hun. Carl had never learned to trust the water. It was an uncontrollable, unpredictable entity that could strike without warning. He didn't have any particular reason for it, but the water had always made him uneasy, and if he could help it, he never went near lakes or rivers, and he absolutely never set foot in the ocean, or on a beach for that matter. Even his showers were as short as they could be, and while ice skating wasn't technically in the water, it made his soul shudder all the same. Have your meetings with Dr. Hanson been helping at all? He promised he could cure you, Fran asked. Carl had never elaborated to her too deeply about his fear, but it concerned her nonetheless. It was at her request that he began seeking treatment for it. I'm not sure. He keeps talking of suppressed memories and some sort of psycho-hypnotic meditation crap he wants, to, he wants me to try. But I'll take a dive in a swimming pool before I let someone poke around in my head trying to dig up some horrible trauma I never knew I had, so he can keep charging me a hundred bucks an hour. I swear, shrinks are the mechanics of medicine, discovering a problem, and then selling the cure. The Weasley man at the front desk informed Carl that there had been an accidental overbooking, and that their room reservation had been moved to the opposite side of the hotel which featured a fantastic overlook of the river. As compensation, he offered them free passes to the therapeutic hot springs, to which, Francine's dismay, Carl politely declined. He was already feeling a bit overwhelmed by this trip, so after they got settled in their room, he decided to take a walk to clear his head. The crisp winter air seemed to prick the inside of Carl's lungs like a needle as it flowed in and out. There was a dry powder on the ground from the night before. It would have been perfect conditions for skiing if Carl knew how to ski. He had vague memories of snowy winters from when he was very young. His family had at one time lived in Michigan, but for some reason they had picked up and moved to Arizona, and just like a toy or a sweater lost in the move, the likelihood of Carl ever learning to ski also vanished. Just as he he had hoped, the cold air helped to clear his head. He thought about his wife, he thought about his unborn child, then he wondered if it would be a boy or a girl. It seemed strange to him that he secretly hoped it would be a girl. Carl didn't imagine himself being much good at raising a son, and boys, ha- and boys had such a tendency to get into trouble. He wondered who would teach his son to throw a baseball or shoot a free throw. It couldn't possibly be himself because he had never been very athletically inclined. He had visions of his son being picked last for dodgeball or coming home in tears because he had been cut from the baseball team. He saw his son being bullied for spending his recesses drawing instead of jumping out of swing sets or chasing little girls. The more he thought about it, the more Carl became certain that he would raise a soft, delicate boy just like himself, and he didn't want that. Childhood was unforgiving to soft, delicate boys. Carl was lost so deeply in his thoughts and his, about his theoretical son that at first he didn't realize he had walked right out onto a bridge that crossed the river, which the man at the lodge had described. It wasn't until he was halfway across that the coursing water alerted him of his surroundings. His heart skipped a beat, and he clutched at the railing to steady himself but after a few moments he realized he wasn't terribly frightened. Perhaps there was some good in seeing that crook Dr. Hansen after all. He leaned against the railing and forced himself to look down into the rushing rapids beneath the bridge. The river. Carl let himself become mesmerized by the current. It was like watching a black silk sheet flap in the wind. He wondered how fish ever saw where they were going. His mind was torn from this line of thought when something in the water caught his eye, but it was swallowed up again by the blackness almost immediately. The cold must be getting to his head because he could have sworn he saw there again a flash of red just beneath the surface of the water carl focused his vision within a matter of moments the object reappeared once more this time long enough for him to make out what it was a mitten a small red mitten and as he stared at it perplexed he realized it was connected to an arm a child's arm carl wasn't sure if it was the shifting current or his mind playing tricks on him, but mittens connected to the arms seemed to wave at him. Jesus Christ, he thought. It's a child. And he dashed back across the bridge and down the embankment until he was standing at the edge of the water. Carl searched his surroundings frantically for a branch or a vine, anything to offer this drowning child. Finding nothing, he turned to run back to the lodge, but only made it a few steps before he stopped cold. He must have been at least half a mile from the closest building. There was no time for that. He ran back to the edge of the water and, without thinking, plunged forward into its icy jaws. Instantly, the cold sunk its teeth into Carl's feet, then his thighs, and finally his chest as he waded further into the river. It sucked the warmth and energy from his body and replaced it with its frigid venom that made him feel as if his limbs were full of lead. He was almost to the middle of the river when his foot connected with something. He plunged his arms deeper and grabbed hold of the child's arm. As he pulled upward with all his might, he felt the tension give way, and a small form slowly rose to the surface. He cradled the child's body in his arms and lifted its face out of the water. Carl screamed. He knew that face instantly. It all came rushing back to him just as the river rushed around him now. The snow, the duck pond, Johnny. Carl remembered everything. All the demons that had been forced to the recesses of his conscious mind seemed to suddenly make themselves known again and step forward from the shadows as if saying... You thought we were gone? Then Johnny opened his eyes, his gruesome, nauseating, blood-stained eyes that petrified Carl more than the icy river ever could. Carl almost screamed again, but Johnny opened his mouth first. The voice that followed was inhuman. It came from deep within the little boy's frame and it was thick and gargled as if its throat was full of mucus and swamp water. Carl, why didn't you save me? You could have saved me if you wanted to, but you ran away. Why did you run away? Johnny, I'm sorry. I tried, but there was nothing I could do. All I could think of was to run for help. Thick, hot tears began to stream down Carl's face and blur his vision as he looked down into the face of his friend. I died because you're a fucking coward. You robbed me, Carl. It should have been you. You're the one who couldn't make it across the pond. I died helping you. A spot of red appeared on Johnny's forehead from beneath Carl's face. Carl wiped his own cheeks and found his palm to be scarlet red. He was crying tears of blood. You can still do right by me, Carl. You've had your life. Now let me have mine. Carl cried even harder now. Blood streaked down his face and stained his clothes. He could no longer see his friend's face, but he nodded in understanding. It was his fault and he knew it. He released Johnny's limp form from the current. He released Johnny's limp form into the current and within moments it was out of sight. Then Carl lifted his feet from the smooth rocks at the bottom of the river and allowed himself to float on his back after Johnny. As the current took him, he gazed upward at the white winter sky that completely encompassed his vision. The resort groundskeeper was the unlucky soul to discover Carl's body the next day. He'd gone down to the river to collect the beer bottles and trash. The guests had a bad habit of leaving behind, but instead he'd found a bloated, broken body with the sickliest pair of eyes he had ever seen he called the police, of course, after the initial shock wore off, and upon their arrival, it took only moments for them to discover Carl's wallet and identify the body. A particularly green young recruit was then tasked with the assignment of locating the deceased's wife and informing her of the tragedy that had occurred. Francine had been worried about her husband, but not right away. She knew how Carl needed his alone time. He would often go on long walks in the evening, especially since he had found out about the pregnancy. Sometime he was gone for hours at a time. He said they helped clear his head, but to her it just seemed like he always came back more distressed than before. A more jealous woman might have suspected he was having an affair, but Francine knew better than that. Carl had always been tender and loving to her, and he had never been overly interested in sex. That didn't bother Francine. Carl was trustworthy, and he cared for her deeply, and she believed he would make a good father, even if he didn't think so. That was more than many of her friends could say about their husbands. But after she had sat down with her feet in the hot tub, eaten dinner, and read four chapters of her book without so much as a smoke signal from him, she had become the slightest bit concerned. So when a police officer showed up at her door with his hat in his hand and his eyes on the floor, she burst into deep animal tears that made her eyes feel as though they were swelling out of their sockets. Almost certainly an accident, plain and simple. No foul play, unless you think it could have been suicide, the officer said to Francine, who had collapsed into a chair. In between heavings of her chest, she managed to shake, managed to shake her head. Well then, if it's alright with you, ma'am, we'd like to have you come down to the station and issue a statement, whenever you feel ready, that is. She looked different now. Her tears had abated somewhat, but her face was wrenched and her mouth gaped open. She clutched at her stomach and was only barely able to mouth the words, the baby, to the officer before she screamed out in pain. The officer had rushed Francine to the nearest hospital, sirens blazing as she wailed in the backseat of his squad car, and after he frantically explained the situation to the closest nurse, she was admitted to the maternity ward. After fourteen hours of labor in an emergency cesarean section, she had given birth to a healthy baby boy. Now she was resting while the nurses cleaned up her son. She was a hopeless cocktail of emotions. Her husband, whom she had loved very much, was dead. But her son, whom she already loved more than anything in the world, was alive. She didn't know whether to grieve or to celebrate. The nurse brought her baby back to her shortly after, tightly swaddled in a clean, white blanket. And as Francine tenderly took him into her arms for the first time, she gently swept back his near-full head of blonde hair and admired the bluest pair of eyes she had ever seen. Okay, I love that. What the heck? That was amazing. (laughs) I'm feel? glad you enjoyed it. How do you, how do you feel? How do you feel after? <clears throat> doing that? I got to like come out of it now. I got to come out of the mood. Come out of the mood. Um yeah, yeah. It was there was some scary stuff in there. Well, thank you for the story. And yeah. so, well, we will be concluding this spooky story feature. Um, so, I wanted to thank you for coming today. Just a reminder that submissions will be due on November 22nd, which is a Friday of week 8, and you can submit that at www.orangemedianetwork.com prism slash site slash submit. Alrighty, well, I hope you guys have a great rest of your day.